grandfather, Walter, was constantly, Lord, give me the words. Lord, I, I will do this. I will do this. And he said, no, I, I had to, it was, a, it was a moment of clarity where I had to just surrender to Christ and let him be in charge. Hello, and welcome to our podcast for College Catholics, where we discuss faith and spirituality from a Catholic perspective. I am your host, Father Patrick Wainwright. Today we will speak about why we encounter evil in the world, why would God allow such things to happen, and how to understand and handle the evil that we will have to face throughout our lives. We welcome a guest, John DeJack, who will give us some insight into the life of Father Walter Chishek, who suffered greatly in his life and wrote about how he lived through it while using those crosses to live more united to God. God Almighty is the source, origin, and final end of everything there is and will ever be in the world. All things were created by God, and nothing exists that hasn't been created by God. As St. John the Evangelist says at the beginning of his Gospel, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. John chapter 1, verse 3 God, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, everlasting, infinite in his being, and perfectly happy in himself, did not have to create the world. He did it freely, and actually he did it purely out of love for us, to communicate his goodness to us, his truth, and his beauty. And the ultimate purpose of that creation cannot be anything other than the glory of God himself and our well-being. So apart from God and his creation, there is nothing else. God created everything completely and out of nothing, as we say in Latin, ex nihilo. So God created the whole thing, so to speak. He created everything completely and in its entirety. He did not use any pre-existing matter to create the world. Therefore, and this is a very important conclusion, everything is good in its being. Everything is good insofar as it is created by God. There is no thing that can be evil in its very self. God could never create something that is evil in its being. Moreover, as the Catechism says in number 57, God is not in any way, directly or indirectly, the cause of evil. What we call evil comes from two sources. On the one hand, the limitations of this material world. For example, some human limitations that we may have, some natural calamities that may happen in the world. And on the other hand, evil is the consequence of the sins of the people in this world. The first evil is what we call physical evil which in reality is a limitation of the good that God created. And therefore, it is something proper to this world, because God did not intend to create the most perfect world possible, but left that 
for heaven. Now, the other evil is the one we call moral evil. We also call it sin. While everything is good in its being, there are some beings who have free will and therefore can choose to do evil. And this is how evil has been introduced into this world. It is the sin of the angels and the sin of man that brings about the worst evils in the universe. In particular, it was original sin, the sin of Adam and Eve, that brought about death, suffering, and moral evil in this world. So God is never to blame for the evil we experience in the world. On the contrary, man is to blame. We are to blame. However, while God could stop every evil from happening, he tolerates some evil. He allows evil, if you want, in order to obtain a greater good, a good that we cannot always see, but we will be able to see it sometime in the future when we get to eternal life and have a perspective of all history of humanity from God's point of view. This is why in this world, we have to trust in divine providence. Trust in divine providence. That is, trust that God has a plan, a plan for our salvation, a plan for our good and for our eternal good. As St. Paul said to the Romans, chapter 8, verse 28, We know that all things work for good for those who love God. So it is important to know this and to reflect on it frequently, that God has your back, that God will never forget you, and that God has a good plan in mind for you, even if you have a difficulty or a cross to bear right now, even if you, have persecu even if you suffer persecution or suffer misunderstanding or suffer some physical ailment or some illness, God has a plan for you a plan for your salvation and eternal happiness. So, to help us understand all this better, today we have a guest with us that will help us understand how to deal with the difficulties we encounter in our life. And he will help us by sharing with us his knowledge about the life of Father Walter Chishek, a Jesuit, and how he endured terrible, terrible evils, and how he learned how to see in all those things the hand of God and how to sanctify himself in those same crosses. John DeJack, an attorney and educator, will be my guest today. He is the president of Father Gabriel Richard High School in Ann Arbor, Michigan. A member of the Fellowship of Catholic Scholars, he has recently served as an adjunct instructor at the University of St. Thomas St. Paul Seminary's Institute for Catholic School Leadership in St. Paul, Minnesota. He was the founding headmaster of two classical high schools in the St. Paul, Minneapolis area, Chesterton Academy and Holy Spirit Academy. Prior to that, he practiced law and served on active duty as an officer in the United States Army 10th Mountain Division. He has taught Latin, Greek, literature, government, and theology in schools in Chicago, Cleveland, the Twin Cities, and Ann Arbor. 
In addition to his academic and legal experience, he, along with Father Mark Lindiger of the Society of Jesus, edited With God in America, The Spiritual Legacy of an Unlikely Jesuit, published by Loyola Press, 2016. His articles have appeared in numerous publications, including Chronicles, a magazine of American culture, Homiletic and Pastoral Review, and the St. Austin Review. He and his wife Anne and their eight children live in Saline, Michigan. He is also a good friend of Midas Christi and is the Latin teacher for our seminarians here in Midas Christi House of Formation in Michigan. Thank you, John, for being here with us today in our studio. And how are you doing? And any, any, any anecdote that you want to tell us about your life and so forth? Father, great to be here. Uh, great to help Millis Christie with this wonderful topic and uh, wonderful subject matter, Father Walter. Um, it's been a great couple weeks. Easter is here. We had our sausage, the traditional sausage at home. Uh, took the kids to Cleveland. Awesome. To the uh, hometown and bought our, bought our sausage at our, at our favorite butcher's. And so that's always the highlight of the season is the meals and the good good times with our friends and family. So, yeah, it's been a great couple of weeks. So thanks for having me here, Father. Yeah, absolutely. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the life of Father Chishak, Walter Chishak? Yes. Um, you know, a little bit of a timeline, if you want, and also his experiences and what he learned, which we also have to learn from him a lot. Certainly, certainly. Uh, and I have to compliment your pronunciation of his last name, Father. Uh, that's a good Polish way of pronouncing it, Chizik. Um In America, oftentimes it's pronounced Chizik. Either way is acceptable, but you are a, a, a true uh, client of his if you pronounce it the proper way, which you have. So in any event, Father uh, Walter was born on November 4th, 1904 in Shenandoah, Pennsylvania. He was one of 13 children. Uh, his father was a coal miner and his parents were immigrants from Poland, came in the late 1800s. Um, when he was a kid, uh, he had a reputation in the town of being kind of a bully. And if you've read his books, which I know mm -hmm. you have, he, he's quite, uh, it's a bit of a confession. He starts out his books. He says, to understand me and what I went through in Russia, you really have to understand the type of person I was. So he begins by telling of some of his exploits and how he liked to pick fights and how he would, he would uh, always... Uh, see if he could beat up the he's a he was a scrapper a young young guy and a short guy but he would always see if he can beat up the bigger guy and he was very taken with a lot of these boxing magazines and all that sort of thing so uh in many ways he he's not you know it's a rough material in terms of a saint um but he says this is what god's raw material he had to work with was and so he he very much makes a point of of bringing that up but at the same time in the midst of this Uh, being a bully, if you will, and being and, and and picking fights, he would always repair at the eve in the evenings behind a big bureau and say an act of contrition. Wow, that's awesome! Yeah, so he would always have the spiritual sense to him, which he credits to his mother. Anyway, long story short, he at the age of thirteen decides he wants to be a priest, and everyone was shocked because of what the type of kid Absolutely. he was. Absolutely, yes, I would be shocked. Exactly, if he were my kid. Exactly, and so uh, so so. People are amazed. He goes off to Orchard Lake Seminary in Michigan. Which is right here. Right down the street. Some miles away. Exactly. And so that was a seminary for young Poles who wished to become diocesan priests. 
But while he was there, he uh, retreat was given by a Jesuit, and he was very taken with the Jesuits, especially St. Stanislaus Koska. And he really identified with him. And uh, so he decided to become a Jesuit. And so in, in the late 20s, he became a Jesuit. So one, one interjection I remember, sure. that it, it, it's always surprised me, one of the things he did, just to prove himself, uh, his toughness, I guess, but it, it actually helped a lot for his future life. He would uh, run in the winter around the lake and even get into the lake in the water when it was in November, almost freezing. Exactly. And that has to have been terrible. I exactly. Mean, it's not easy to get in freezing water. Yeah, exactly. And he was able to do that, and who knows why, but he did it, and then he uh, later in his life it was definitely very uh, useful. That's exactly right. God knew Siberia was in the future, so he certainly made him battle-hardened in that regard. But that's exactly right. He was very... He, he scorned piety, or at least outward expressions of it, but he truly was pious. He would wake up earlier than anyone else. He would be in the chapel for hours. Uh, he had a really deep desire to do the will of God and to be really a champion of, of God's. Um, but he joins the Jesuits in the 20s, and um, during his time in formation, a call went out from Pius XI to get priests to go into Russia. By this point, it had been taken over by the communists, the Soviet Union now, um, since Lenin, and uh, Stalin was in charge. And so this was something that very much drew Father Walter. Uh, he wanted, again, to do the toughest thing, right? It's just like you indicated, Father. Um, and so this was, he couldn't think of something tougher as a priest than to be a missionary under very dangerous circumstances. So... In 1939, 38-39, um, after ordination in Rome, he was sent to the Polish frontier, almost on the border of Russia, where he served in a uh, Byzantine mission. So he was a bi-ritual priest. He, ser he offered mass in the Latin rite or the Roman rite and, and also in the Byzantine rite because that was w what most of the people in Russia and Ukraine and whatnot, um, the liturgy they would, they would know and experience. Uh, he's over there for a while. World War II starts. The mission is closed. And that is his opportunity to go into Russia finally. And the Archbishop of uh, Lindbergh or Lvov on uh, the Ukraine, Archbishop Sheptisky, uh, gives him, who's also up for canonization, as I understand, gives him and a fellow Jesuit uh, permission to go into Russia uh, surreptitiously. So they were under assumed names, and their mission was to see if religious work could be done, because this was a highly dangerous situation. So they went in as common laborers. They worked in the lumber camp, and shortly uh, they were there for about maybe a year, six months to a year, um, and they were being watched the whole time. And there's indications that one of his fellow Jesuits, uh, who did not go into Russia, but was giving messages from the eastern area that the Ukraine there back to Rome uh, talking about their um, activities it, there's indications that he was picked up by the KGB and then was tortured and then ultimately killed um, uh, and gave up that father was in there oh that's terrible yeah so that was how we we can kind of piece together his arrest right. and whatnot right because he had not given he had not started doing any apostolic activity yet. That's right. He was just another laborer. Exactly. He, he had conversations. He heard confessions they, they, very, very quietly. Um, but yeah, very, very soon thereafter was picked up. Um, he was interrogated. So he, he, he was actually arrested, right? Correct. They rounded it 
Yes. The place they and they arrested him. Yes. So he was he was in a barrack like any of the laborers. Um but these were not prisoners. These were just free men who are who are living in the labor camp. Um and uh he was brought to Moscow. He was interrogated time and again and he served 5 years of uh solitary confinement in right, Lubyanka. I'm, right. I, I that's what I read. He was in a in one of the more uh high security but also terrifying Uh, prisons of Lubyanka. That's correct. He was in a very small room, n nothing terrible, but nothing beneficial yes, either. You exactly. Know, they had very bare walls, one lamp. That's right. Uh, a very stiff bed. And yes. And constant interrogations day and night and That's no exactly. connection and contact with any person. That's correct. And so think of the psychological uh, problem. I mean, think of the lockdowns, right, with COVID. Uh, can you imagine five years being in that little cell Uh, with very few uh, opportunities to uh, talk to someone else other than your interrogator, who's draining you time and again with all the same questions. Um, but it was interesting. He ordered his day like his Jesuit formation. So he would wake up at a certain time. He would, uh, instead, of, he didn't have the books to say the office, but he would he would uh, offer Mass by heart. He would He remembered the prayers of the Mass, and he said them by heart. He would say three rosaries to serve as his bravery. He would, um, and so he kept himself sane through prayer, really. And, and it was this, this um, discipline, not unlike Miles Christie's formation, not unlike the, uh, the old Jesuit formation, uh, that really kept him uh, going and kept his mind sharp, his relationship with God sharp. And, um, and even physically, you know, he would, he would do things that he didn't have to do. He would polish floors. Um, That that in in you know, more than what the what the uh, guards would demand whatnot, um, but after that five years, he he ends up um, it was a pivotal moment in his life. He uh, was told to sign this confession, and uh, it was untrue. He knew it was untrue, and for the longest time, he held out, and he did not want to. That would be betraying Christ. So he he was they were uh, forcing kind of forcing him. Emotionally and psychologically yes. to confess that he was a spy. Correct. When he was not. Correct. And he was trying to constantly defend himself. I'm not a spy. I'm not yes. a spy. Until? Yes. Until he finally broke down. Um, and he he thought, you know, he really thought, he, he, when he reflects on it afterward and he talks about this and he leadeth me, he says, there was too much of me in my prayer. He, I did not let Christ take over. I wanted Walter Chiswick to take over. It was constantly, Lord, give me the words. Lord, I, I will do this. I will do this. And he said, no, I, I had to, it was, a, it was a moment of clarity where I had to just surrender to Christ and let him be in charge. And uh, in many ways, Father was a mystic, as in some of his later writings can attest and whatnot. But um, that, was a, that was a very pivotal moment where when he signed that confession, he was very much in a depression a while almost to the point of he he describes it and he leadeth me as he it was like trying uh, testing gold and fire almost as as hot as the fires of hell um but he came out of that with a renewed faith in god and with a renewed um surrender uh to in in, in the light of such tremendous evil right i think he he speaks about a terrible darkness yes. that took over yes where he Even doubted the existence of God because of the evil that he was envelop was enveloping him. Right until he had a sort of con uh, conversion where he recognizes it's a lot of me, 
and not God. Right. I'm doing this. I'm putting myself ahead of God. Right. And uh, now I need to put God first. Right? That's right. And, and to need to, tr- I need to trust Him entirely. Give myself entirely to Him. And he can do great things in spite of my weakness and my poverty. That's exactly right. That's a, You've hit the nail on the head, Father. And it's, it's interesting to speak of this priest having a conversion right. as a priest, right? Or as a, uh, one would, what one would expect to be a fully formed uh, religious, right? Uh, but that's, that's, that is more proof of the constant need for conversion as a lifelong project. It's not that we are saved once and that's it. <laughs> you know, right. it's, a, it's a constant battle. But after that time, he there's tremendous peace. When you read the story, when you when he's faced with evil, the threats of death and whatnot, there's a serenity. There's a surrender that uh, he is letting God take over, and um, and and that's one of the great lessons that he that he teaches us. Um, after he's released from that solitary confinement, um, he's convicted on this uh, intent to subvert under the Soviet code. And so that is 15 years imprisonment in the gulag. Um, and he goes up to Norilsk, which is a very northernmost town in Siberia where he engages in manual labor and whatnot. Right. I read that it's 10 degrees north. Of the Arctic Circle. That is correct. That is <laughs> so, correct. So freezing he's on, temperatures. Yes, all he's, year yeah. Round. His uh, his swimming in the lake at uh, Orchard Lake was probably a bit balmier than uh, <laughs> than the temperatures up there. But he's there for quite a while, and he meets up with uh, fellow Catholics, and he begins apostolic work there. Um, some of the fellows uh, uh, prisoners actually gave testimony for his cause for canonization who were with him up there, and, and there's some amazing stories. Um, he did most of his work up there, and then he was limitedly released. Um, he could he had served his time, uh, but he could not leave Russia. Uh, he was not allowed to go to the major cities like Moscow, uh, but he was able to um, he was able to go to these various other towns, hold jobs. Uh, and uh, interestingly enough, the last bishop that was or, or consecrated by John Paul II before he died was a was a uh, a man whose parents were German uh, Gulag survivors of the Soviet Union, and who was baptized by Father Walter. Wow, that is awesome! It's a tremendous story. Um, and so he was up in Norilsk, and uh, this bishop to this day he's the, he's a bishop in uh, Uzbekistan. And his name is escaping me. I apologize, but but I think he he did a he's in a documentary about Father Chishik, right? He must be the one talking. I he think. very well, yeah, he very well may be. Uh, but he has a little uh, uh, cross that Father Walter gave his family when he was baptized. But wow. it's a tremendous story about him baptizing in secret because of the Soviet uh, the enforced atheism, right? And also the the freedom that they gave him within Russia was a very very coerced or limited freedom he had to constantly be reporting to the kjb correct wherever he went every movement he did so that's right they had complete control of what he was doing how much he was doing and where he was doing yes it. yes exactly and uh and even so in the midst of that one since we're in the easter season here one of the celebrated moments was the easter of 1958 where he was in narelsk and he celebrated the vigil with great pomp and circumstance and people hundreds of people would surround the in violation of the law uh, and that's what forced him to move out. The KGB came and said, enough of this. And they moved him to another city. He ends up in this town called Abakan, where he stays for a while. 
as a mechanic um, before he is then brought back to the United States in an exchange for Soviet spies. So he arrives so back. So that's 1963, Correct, right? correct. Columbus Day, 1963. Maternity of Mary is when he left under the old, uh, in the old rite. The Maternity mm-hmm. of Mary is celebrated on the 12th of, um, of October. And um, he was always, there are pivotal moments in his life where Our Lady appears and, 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 and that sort of thing. And so he always celebrated that day to the masses of that day with great, great thanksgiving to her, for her protection. Um. But he comes back to the United States, and uh, it's a time where he uh, primarily was a retreat master, he uh, spiritual director, um, and it's really there that I uh, see his sanctity coming out. Russia was almost another seminary for him, and so his uh, openness to all people, his counseling, his his spiritual advice, and and coming at a time where there's great tumult in the church with the Second Vatican Council and the aftermath of it where people misinterpret what catholic doctrine truly is he was a he was a rock in the middle of the very raging seas up until his death and uh, on december 8th 1984 and so uh the book that i had the privilege to help edit was was one that was uh focused on his life back in the states and included in there advice he gave to people on the very issue of evil that you're talking about here father um how to leave evil to god he will take care of it. You stick with God. You, and even in the midst of sin, your faith is such that you can still cling to God and he can inspire you to return to him. And so I think he gave that type of confidence to people uh, to not stay in their sin, but rather to, through their, the gift of faith, return to God. And he always saw um, the hu- human life as this battle. Um, that uh, is raging for the for souls, uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil on the one hand, God on the other, and uh, for people who have faith, um, they will always be triumphant if they stick with God. Right. So, so then, I I understand those moments were of darkness that he had in Lubyanka, and then his, if you want, com- spiritual conversion and his experiences later. Um, where he was under such duress, where he didn't have time to pray as regularly, we would say, in a convent or a monastery, which he was a religious, uh, he should have been otherwise, right? Or the freedom to say Mass in a devout manner in a nice church or something. Yes. So from all that I remember uh, from reading He Leadeth Me, two main principles, and you tell me if this, is, this makes sense. One of them is to, uh, when he noticed his weakness and his inability to persevere because he kind of surrendered and 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 lied and and said uh, I am a spy when he was not in order to stop this torture emotional torture that he was having he recognized he needs to let god take over completely in in and and that way can apply to our lives right so we need to let god be the one director in our lives yes we have to do something we have to do our part we have to do what we see we have to do according to god's will but we have to allow ourselves to kind of float in the providence of god right well put yes so so that's one thing that i i remember and the other thing that i thought was important is the simplicity of offering our actions to god right so in the midst of his Working, he tried to work to the best way, to the best of his ability. Yes. Even though he was doing it as a prisoner, others were looking at him and saying, what are you doing? Right. We're prisoners here. Are you going to do this well? Are you going to cut these trees well? Are you going to dig those ditches right. well? 
for those people that are harassing you. And he was saying, well, I do this now for God. Right. And I offer it for God in That's union right. with the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. Right. And the basic morning offering that we talk about and we have in our prayer book and we encourage people to say, he says that is important. Yes. And that's what kept him going in his time of, of, of a punishing experience in, in the prisons and in the gulag, right? That's exactly right. You hit it on the head, Father. And I think, I think all that can be summed up by saying God's will for you, for me, for anyone, are the persons, places, situations that one finds himself in every day. And what will you choose to do in that situation? Do you choose to follow God? Do you act uh, in accord with his will? Or do you choose something other than God, which we would call evil, basically? Um, or run away from the word of God. So correct, correct. Um, and so th- that that very earthy, I think, spirituality, it's a kind of get the dirt under your fingernails spirituality, whereby um, no, nothing is insignificant. Everything you do, every person you encounter, uh, every situation you're in has great value, and God is putting that in front of you, even if it's a desolation. Um, how will you utilize that? How will you cling to God? This is an opportunity to renew your faith in him and whatnot. Um, and a Jesuit uh, confrere of his uh, once put it well about him. He said he had that rare ability to understand that every situation is an opportunity to develop your relationship with God, to develop, even if it's a, it's a horrible situation like a gulag or a glorious situation like your ordination day or your marriage day and something to that effect. And so all these are great opportunities and great gifts of God uh, for, for someone to capitalize on. Very good. Wonderful. So uh, let me, let's see if I can try to summarize a little bit of what we've been talking about, evil, creation, and the experiences of Walter Chishek. So first of all, one thing I notice is, or I, we could draw from all this, that the fact that evil things happen in our life does not imply that God does not exist, because that's a typical thing that people say, oh, how could this happen? God cannot exist if evil happened, right? Right. Uh, so our faith in God should not be weakened by the reality of evil, once we understand correctly its nature, right, the nature of evil. A second thing is when we suffer evil, when we have the, the, to carry the cross, we might not see any good that, can come from our, uh, can, that could come out of it. But if we do our part to fulfill, God's w- to fulfill God's will in our life, we can be sure that many goods will come out of the, those evils in God's providence, right? God will bring good out of evil. A third thing, what we can't see now in this world, because we are short-sighted or nearsighted and we don't see all the entire picture of God, we will be able to see one day when we reach heaven, right? Uh, A fourth thing, we should always offer up our sufferings in union with the sufferings of Christ for the love of God and the salvation of souls. That's a simple thing that Father Cheshek did as he was digging ditches in Siberia. Yes, absolutely. And then another that is important, there is no saint who did not suffer in some way the cross of Christ. So if we really try to be saints, try to be holy, well, we will have to endure some type of suffering, uh, emotional or spiritual or physical, right? So uh, just to wrap it up a little bit, I would encourage everyone to read the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Numbers 299 through 314, which is a great explanation of the Church of all these things that we have discussed today. So I will ask you, if you as a 
a president of a high school and you know father of so many um is there any spiritual thought that you would like to convey to all the high school and college students and young adults that listen to this podcast? You you, sp you said it very well a moment ago, Father, when you said, you know, the saints have to carry the cross, right? If if God did not spare his only son from a cross, uh, we, we too should do our part and carry the crosses that we have been given. And like Father Walter says so many times to many of his clients, he always says, give God your lousy best. And uh, I think that and, and in doing so, be confident that Christ is the answer and that he has overcome evil in the world and don't let evil overcome you because there's something greater than that. So that's what I would say to all my students or future students. Wonderful. Well, thank you very, very much for sharing all this wisdom with us and know that uh, all those who are listening and will listen uh, are now from this moment encouraged to say a prayer for you. Uh, in gratitude for everything that you have helped us to learn today. So that's all for today. Thank you, everyone, for sharing your time with us. Please make sure that you check, up, check out our website, forcollegecatholics.org. Remember to subscribe to Apple or Google or Spotify to receive all the future episodes. And if you like this episode also, please let your friends know about it and consider writing a positive review. So thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. May God bless you today.